Well, we are in the middle of our 21 Days of Prayer series, and this is a time that we're focusing on prayer, but not just like praying more often, but also growing in our practice of prayer. And last week, Pastor Chris talked about the importance of beginning prayer by looking up by entering into prayer with this holy reverence, recognizing who God is. And he said, because God is always above us, we need to confess and consecrate. And so we start by looking up. But if you're anything like me, sometimes my spiritual neck gets a little bit tired from looking up, and I can't stay focused up all the time. In fact, I would even venture to say that maybe we aren't supposed to be looking up all the time. I've heard the phrase, you know, uh, too, too heavenly minded that you're of no earthly good. And so I think there's this second piece to prayer. Because just focusing up, that's praise. Right? And, and that's definitely a part of prayer. Just focusing on who God is. That's called praise. But then we're also supposed to look down. That's, that's what prayer requires us to do second, because prayer kind of occurs between heaven and earth. It's, it's kind of this sacred space between the two. And Jesus was aware of this. That's why in that prayer that was just read for us, he said, on earth as it is in heaven. He recognized both of those are part of prayer. See, because we aren't in God's position, we're not in heaven, we are not enthroned in majesty, surrounded by praise, that's not our spot to be in, we're not up there, we're here. We are on earth, the land of the living, or maybe some days the land of the dying, and we look around and this clearly is not heaven. We look around and this world is anything but heaven. It's not perfection. And some days I lay down and I, I lay my head on my pillow and I am frustrated. I'm discouraged. I'm angry because I see this world and this world is not heaven. And yet that's where we are. And so I think it's for that reason that Jesus instructed his disciples to pray not only up, but also down. To pray for this world, to pray for this life. He says, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. That's praying up. But then he says, may your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, that's praying down. So he's got both of those in there. And a lot of times when I prayed through this prayer, I've assumed that this was kind of a way to ask God to do something for us. When we pray on earth as it is in heaven, it's, it's kind of in my mind, I think of it's asking God to usher down his kingdom. It's like me saying, all right, God, please do this. Please make earth a little bit more like heaven because I don't really like earth as it is right now. And so please make heaven come down to earth. Do that. 
And that's, that's kind of where I've stopped when I read this prayer a lot of times. And that's true, but there's, there's another little piece to it. What I've realized is that when we pray this, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When we pray that, it's also God letting us know something that he would like us to do. See, because remember, prayer is a conversation. It's not just us talking to God. It's also God speaking to us. And so it only makes sense that in prayer, God would also be asking something of us. See, these two ideas, his kingdom and his will, point us towards two very specific actions, two responses that are learned and cultivated in the space that we kind of call prayer. And so first, his kingdom. Now, I've always thought of this as referring to heaven, the place where God lives and rules and reigns, where those who have chosen to follow him here on earth will one day go to live. And that's true. But there's a little bit more than that because I, I think of the word kingdom as a place, like the United Kingdom or like Disney's animal kingdom. Those are places that you can find on a map. You can actually drive or fly or whatever. Go there and, and be in a physical place. But this word kingdom isn't actually like that. And actually, if you think about it, that doesn't even really make a lot of sense for us to pray that God would bring a physical space to another physical space but the word that Jesus is using here isn't referring to a place, per se. It's a little bit less tangible than that. It's referring to a, a rule, a right to reign, power. And so then this makes a little bit more sense when we pray, your kingdom come, because then what we are actually praying when we say that is, God, bring your right to reign to earth. See the difference there? Instead of bringing a place to another place, we're saying bring your right to reign, your power to earth. Like conquer the powers and the rule and authorities of this world with your power and rule and authority. Your kingdom come. Now, I know we've just started school here, students in the room, teachers in the room, and when I think about school, I am always have been a, kind of a history person. Any other like history buffs in the room? Just a few of you. Uh, I terrible at math, terrible at science, but history, English, music, arts, that's kind of my jam. And so when I think of this, I think about ancient history, because I love history. I love learning from history. And so I think of the powerful kingdoms of history that have kind of existed over the course of history. A lot of times we call them empires. 
right? We think of the Persians or the Ottomans, the Romans, the Spanish, the British, just to name a few. And these were all incredibly powerful empires, kingdoms that had influence, not just in their day, but really, I mean, stretching through history. They still have had influence on our time and age today. But if you take some, some time to study the growth of these empires, these kingdoms, you'll notice that their kingdom wasn't just about the land. It wasn't just about the territory that they ruled over. That was part of it, absolutely. But their growth and success wasn't just because they had a lot of land. I mean, some of them started out as nomads. They had no land. And yet it was their, their success tied up in, in power and influence that caused them to grow. Their military prowess, their control, their strength, their, their ability to enter into an area that was not theirs and conquer it and subdue it. And then when they entered into those areas whoever was currently living there had a couple of different options. You could either submit or you could die. Like those, those were kind of the two options. I know sometimes there would be like kind of an in-between, like you can leave or you can stay here and, and assimilate, but that's still a form of submission. So really, if you kind of boil it down, they could either submit to the powers that had come in or they could die. That's, that's kind of sums it up. And so this ability of these kingdoms to convince people to submit to a power that was initially unfamiliar to them is what caused those kingdoms to actually grow. See, it wasn't really about the land. It's about their power, their strength. See, when we're asking God's kingdom to come, what we need to recognize is that we're actually asking him to come to power, to reign and to rule, which requires us to submit. Here's the thing about submitting, though. We don't like to submit. And, and maybe, maybe I can't speak for everyone in the room, but I'll just say it this way. I don't like to submit because I am a stubborn, hard-headed middle child. I don't like the idea of submitting. Why would I want to submit? It doesn't make any sense to me. But submission isn't about what I want. I mean... It's about acknowledging who in the room has and is the most powerful. I mean, and this is, this is kind of a, a simple thing. Dogs know this, right? There's this thing called the alpha male. When a dog enters into a space, they recognize who the alpha male is because it's the strongest and the biggest dog. And yet... Sometimes I think that maybe I'm the alpha. That I'm the one with the greatest power. 
But the last time I checked, there's someone else who's already claimed the title of Alpha. And so I would be foolish to think that I am the one in the room with the most power. God's already got that. So praying God's kingdom come should lead us in our prayer, in our lives really, to submit. Your kingdom come. And then there's this other part, which is his will. Your kingdom come, your will be done. And this is maybe a little bit more simple. But notice that God's will comes after his kingdom in the way that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. I think that's on purpose because we can't accept his will until we have first submitted to his power. But praying for God's will to be done has to do with his desires, his commands, his wishes, what he wants. It has to do with God's plan, a lot of which has already been revealed to us through scripture, but a lot of the rest we learn day to day through prayer and listening to God's voice. And so think again of those ancient kingdoms, those empires. Every kingdom had a leader, right? Some of you history buffs are already going through naming off some of the leaders that I mentioned. The Ottomans had a guy named, anyone know? Suleiman the Magnificent. The Mongols had a guy named Genghis Khan. The Persians had Cyrus the Great and so on. See, every kingdom in history has a leader or multiple leaders in succession. And the leader, whoever that was, had a plan, a course of action that drove them towards expansion and success. So, for example, Suleiman the Magnificent dreamed of a united empire that stretched from Europe all the way to India. And so, over the course of his 46 years of reign, everything that he did, every campaign, every reform, had to do with furthering this goal that he had dreamt of. Or Cyrus the Great uh, is recorded as wanting to bring peace to mankind. And so his actions revolved around humanitarian reform and uh, just kind of assimilation more so, which we see recorded in scripture, by the way. See, the leader, whoever the leader was, had a plan, had a vision, and it was bigger than any one person, and yet it would take everyone playing their role, and while not everyone knew the whole plan, everyone knew what their job was. Obey the leader. Whatever the leader said, wherever the leader sent you, that's, that's what you do. Follow orders. Follow their commands. If you don't know what to do, if you've got a question, you take it up with the leader. And they'll tell you what to do. See, and I've realized that God is no different than this. He has a plan for our lives, for the world, that will lead to the expansion of his kingdom and to the glory of heaven. And in order for that plan to come about fully, it requires obedience on the part of us. 
his people. The problem, and again, this is self-confession as a middle child, is that we have our own plans. At least, again, maybe I can't speak for you, I have my own plans. I have my own ideas of, of things that I think would be better than God's plans. And, and I get caught up in these little plans and I lose sight of God's grand, big, great plan. And to us, our little plans don't seem little, right? To us, our little plans are our world. I mean, it's like a, a goldfish in their little fishbowl. That fishbowl is a really small little fishbowl. But to the goldfish, that's its entire world. And this notion, this idea of an ocean is just far beyond them, let alone the fact that there are seven of them. To the goldfish, it's just all about the bowl. See, and that's how, how we are. We, we fix our attention on our little plans, and we forget that there's an ocean of God's plans. But imagine with me that some loyal subject from these ancient kingdoms that I've been talking about were to walk into the king's throne room or the emperor or whatever they're called and walk in and said, you know, I know you're in charge, um, but let me tell you what you should do. Like, just, just picture standing in front of Genghis Khan. Hey, Genghis, Connie, whatever, whatever you go by, uh, I know you've got a really big plan, but it stinks. I, I think you should actually do this instead. I, I, I don't think that's a very good idea. Let me tell you, I'll, I'll make up a plan. You should do this. I mean, we laugh because we know that's a terrible idea. Nobody in their right mind would do that in these ancient kingdoms. In the context of ancient history, we know this isn't going to turn out well. So why do we do that with God? Why do we waltz into his throne room through the path of prayer and say, all right, God, do this. I think your plan isn't so great. I, I think you should do this instead. So I'm not talking about like making bold requests, which scripture does talk about. I'm talking about telling God how to do his job, which none of us like. And it wouldn't fly in any other context, in any other throne room in the world, in time. And yet we think that it'll fly with God. But God actually invites us to learn obedience, not because he's a controlling God, but because he's a good God, a good king with plans that are far 
greater than ours, even when it makes zero sense to us, or at least to me. Praying God's will be done should lead us to obey because we've already recognized and submitted to his power. See, and the beautiful thing of this model, again, this is Jesus teaching his disciples to pray, showing them what to do. The beautiful thing is that God doesn't just ask us to do this. He actually demonstrated this to us himself. We read about it in Matthew chapter 26 when Jesus is praying in the garden of Gethsemane before he was betrayed. See, in prayer with his father, he says, My father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. And then he goes out, checks on his disciples who are sleeping instead of praying and wakes them up and calls them back to attention. And then he goes back and continues to pray. And the second time he says, my father, if this cup cannot be taken away unless I drink it, your will be done. Now, did you notice kind of the, the slight subtle difference that happened there. See, first he approaches his father and he says, this is what I want. I want this cup to pass from me. I, I, don't, I don't want it. I don't like it. Take this cup, but not your will, or not my will, your will be done. And then the second time though, slight difference, he says, all right, if this cup cannot pass, then yes, your will be done. See, it's, it's, it's very slight, but just between those two prayers, we start to see that Jesus is processing through this idea of submission. And we know, if we keep reading, that he would actually go on to submit and obey even to the point of dying. And so it's in that space, that place of prayer that Jesus worked through submission to his father and then eventually obeying his plan. See, prayer not only reveals God's plan and his power, it teaches our hearts how to submit and obey to God's plan. But part of the problem is that we too often see prayer as like a phone line, maybe a cell phone or corded phone, whatever. And, and we picture prayer as, okay, I can any time of the day, any time of the night, I can pick up that phone and I can call up God and I can talk with him and I can present my requests to him, tell him what I'm thinking. And that's true. That is absolutely true. But the problem with that kind of view of prayer is that it doesn't actually do anything to us. It doesn't really require anything of us. But what if, just picture with me, what if prayer is more like entering into the court of a king? 
into the throne room of a good and loving king who also just happens to be our father, but who is also fierce and powerful and rules over every single living thing and over the waves and the winds and the mountains and the valleys and every single thing in between. And he invites us to enter into his throne room at any time of the day, at any hour, to enter in and speak with him. To tell him what we see in the world, the things that we see that are going on that are wrong, not because he doesn't know it's his kingdom after all, but because he wants to hear it from us. He wants to hear it from our perspective. He wants us to voice our concerns, to talk through them. And he's sitting here on this throne and he listens with attentiveness and compassion. You know, like when you talk with someone, you can tell when they're really listening to you. And he allows us to, to talk through all of these things that we're seeing and that we're thinking. And, and then after we're done, from his throne, he speaks. And he says, my child, do you think that I got to this place of power without a plan? You may not see it, but I know the plans I have for you, for this world. And I'm not revealing the whole plan to you. In fact, right now, it might feel like you are looking into a mirror dimly. It might feel like you're looking into a, a fogged up mirror and you can't see it all. But this is what you need to do. This is how I need you to obey. Just trust me. My plans are good and pleasing and perfect. And one day you will see me face to face. And then you'll see clearly. But you need to trust me with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. Just trust me. And sometimes in the midst of this conversation, God does give us a glimpse of the clarity that we need to walk away in confidence, but sometimes he doesn't. Sometimes we may not understand. We may even object or disagree, or at least I do. And God allows us to air those frustrations and concerns where we have them and to just say, God, I don't like it. I don't like your plan. I don't want your plan. And he allows us to wrestle through those things with him. And he doesn't get upset or, or scared when we express those things. And he's not intimidated. He doesn't waver because his plan as king and rightful ruler overall is far better than anything I could come up with. And so at the end of the day, we're still called to submit 
and obey. And we learn how to do that in prayer. But when we think of prayer this way instead of just as a phone line, we walk away different in ways we didn't realize we could or even should be, having experienced the very presence of God, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. See, that's what prayer is like. Or at least, maybe more what it should and could be. So this morning, I want to invite you to once again practice this through prayer. To, as author Andrew Murray put it, enter with Christ in the school of prayer. To learn by actually walking into the throne room of heaven how to submit and obey. Maybe you have a particular situation in your life that you need to submit to God. Or maybe you need to submit your whole life to him. Maybe you haven't done that. And you need to just say, God, you are king. You take control. Or maybe there's a certain part of his plan that you are having a hard time accepting that you don't understand or you just don't like. Or maybe you just generally need to spend this next time sitting in his presence and being reminded of his role, not mine, his role as king, as alpha and omega, so that you can honestly say, God, your kingdom come, your will be done. So the worship team is going to lead us in a song, and I want to invite you to use this space as an entrance into his throne room. Whether that means doing that at your seat, maybe that means kneeling at your seat, maybe that means coming to the altar and kneeling at the altar. But use this space as a time to enter into his presence together and ask him to teach our hearts how to submit and obey. And so would you pray with me and then just use this time to enter into the throne room of God and talk with the King of Kings. Let's pray. God, you are Lord, you are King. Not just the King of heaven, but you are the King of all. So Father, as we use this space to walk in to meet with you, Lord, would you prick our hearts to submit and guide our hands and feet in how to obey. Father, use this space as we enter into prayer to do what only you can do only through prayer. So we commit this space and this time to you 
as we pray, as we pray through the words of these songs. You are king. Have your way, your kingdom come, and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Speak to us now. It's in your name we pray.